God, we thank you for that truth. Thank you that we can stand firmly in it. Thank you for the song we sang that we can dance again, that you have redeemed us. You want to save us. You want to set us free from our fears, from our brokenness. You want to heal us. And I just thank you today, and I pray now that you would just use our time for each of us, that you speak to each one of us at the point of our deepest need and our longing and our desires, and you would show us your heart for us, and then help us to know how to respond to that. That's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you can have a seat, that'd be great. And as you're being seated, I'd love it if you'd go ahead and just jump into your message notes, uh, your program, and grab your message notes, that'd be great, and pull them out. You have your Bible, you can open it to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, We'll be there for uh, just a little bit as we jump into our time together today. I just want to say, if you don't own a Bible, I'd love for you to have one. So if you want to just stop at one of our bookshelves, if you don't own a Bible uh, in the lobby, we'll just give you one. It's a free gift. You can take it so you can have it to read on your own. You notice in your program, there's a Bible reading card that kind of helps you to know if you want to just practice reading the Bible. It can show you a Bible reading for every day, and we just kind of do this together as a church so we can read the Bible in a year. I also want to mention a couple of books that uh, would, I think would be very helpful. And uh, for me, the, the fruit of the Spirit is taking on a whole new meaning in this series than I would have ever imagined, actually, and being able to teach it or to come through it. And just a couple of books that have really been in, uh, influential for me, instrumental in helping me understand it. This was called Life on the Vine. Um, and so this one is written by a philosopher, so it's deep. Uh, and uh, what he does is, you know, philosophers are able to look at the world and culture and the Bible and then uh, combine the two and help us to understand. And this guy does a great job of the fruit of the Spirit and talking to us about the culture and how hard it is for us to live the fruit of the Spirit out based upon the demands of the culture we live in. So it's a really awesome read, but it's one that uh, will take a little bit more work. And then the second one is the one we talked about last week that we sold out on. It's called Love Kindness, and uh, I'll order some more copies for you, and so you can pick this up today. Um, this one really has been instrumental uh, in helping to tenderize my heart uh, toward uh, being able to love everyone, as we're going to talk about again today uh, for just a little bit. So we're coming from Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and then uh, a portion of 25 that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And so uh, if we can put that on the screen right now, I'm just going to ask if you could help me. We're going to read it out loud together, okay? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every area of our lives. And we're talking about how do we do that? So once you say yes to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God plants his Holy Spirit inside of you. And so we live then by the guidance of God's Spirit. So we follow in the steps of the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is, is he produces these character traits out of us. He just, this is the product of walking with him. So you want to know how well you're walking with him, you can look at your life and you can you know, judge it by these character traits to see if you have these in your life and they're called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, just right up front, just know, these are not ways we earn God's approval. So it's not like you look at this list and you say, okay, if I do this, God's going to be happier with me. No, not at all. These are a gift. These, you already have this. 
This is a gift that God has given you that's inside of you, and you've already experienced that, and you know his approval through Christ. The fruit of the Spirit simply describes who you were made to be. So the Bible says that when you come to know Jesus, that you're made to be a new creation, that you're reborn. And at that moment that you have these fruit of the Spirit planted into you, that's who he wants you to be. And now his Spirit works to produce that in your life as you follow him. That's what it's all about. And it's our belief that as we follow him and as we become more like Jesus, we're able to love more, we have more joy, we have more peace in our lives, we have more patience, kindness, goodness, the fruit of the Spirit. It's our belief that as we do that, that we will become positive catalysts positive catalyst in our world, and we will influence our world for the common good. And that's our, our world needs followers of Jesus who do this, who are positive catalysts and influence our world for the common good. Our world needs people who know Jesus to display Jesus so that they can know him and they can get to know and experience him. So today we're going to talk about goodness and uh, then we're going to wrap up our time with communion. Now, when I was thinking about goodness... Uh, I was reliving a time when uh, I was a kid living in Oklahoma, and uh, that as we would come to you know Christmas time, somewhere around December first, uh, that we would receive these catalogs in the mail, and they would be Christmas catalogs, and you still get them from Montgomery Ward and uh, and Sears and those you know department stores. They'd send you those catalogs, and so then what I would do is I would sit down with the catalog. And then I would make out my wish list as a little boy and just dream of the things that I could have that would be in those catalogs. And the question I always remember getting asked at this time of year, Christmas time, that I never prepared for, the question I always got was this, Ron, have you been a good boy? <laughs> have you been a good boy? <laughs> How do you answer that question, right? When you're making your Christmas list and you think that everything on this list that you're going to get is determined by whether you've been a good boy or not. How do you do that? Let's see. Am I good compared to last year? Uh, am I good to, compared to my brother and sister? Am I good compared to the other kids? Uh, and how good do I possibly have to be anyway? Well, I knew the answer to that question, okay? I knew the answer. I was pretty good most of the time. Pretty good most of the time. But there were sure times when I was not good, okay, just not good. And folks, I just say that it's, it's impossible when you come to this kind of question to know how good you are because the standards keep changing of what is good and what is not. If we don't know the standard of goodness, then we never can know whether we are good or not. And what we've seen is that in our day is that we have this thing, this term is called relativism. And in relativism, the way that we view life is that good and bad are left up to the individual to define or the individual to decide. And therefore, what's happening is, just as me as a little kid, I didn't know how I would define whether I was good or bad. Our culture's having the exact same struggle in describing or delineating good from bad. Good from bad. Good has become a completely relevant term and has no meaning because you can't actually know what God is, what good is, without a standard, without a truth. And we would say, without God. And thus we have a dilemma. Because good cannot be understood without an understanding of truth. And the good news, though, is that we are a community 
of followers of Jesus Christ. And we look to God's word for our truth source. And in that truth source, it defines for us very clearly what good is. So I'm going to take a little bit of time today, and we're going to walk through this and look at this idea of goodness. And I just need you to know, just like last week with kindness, this is totally different than I thought I was going to talk about today, and a totally different direction. Uh, But I I think that the other one would have been like goodness light, and this is like goodness deep, okay? So we're going to dig into the deep stuff today. So here's a biblical definition of goodness, and it's this. It's integrity, moral excellence, trueness. Then another phrase, excellent in character or constitution. You know, constitution is its makeup. And it is beneficial or useful in its effect. It is uprightness. That's not a term we use a lot today, but it's uprightness of heart, what's on the inside, and life, what is on the outside. So goodness is not primarily, when we think about goodness, we think about feeling good. We think about looking good. We think about doing good. But according to the Bible, goodness is about being good on the inside that causes us to do good externally. But it has to begin with what happens on the inside. Another way to look at it is this. Goodness is loving the right way and living the right way. It's loving the right way and living the right way. So goodness is not about a feeling. Uh, It's not about looking good. It's not about living the good life. Goodness is about being good inwardly and doing good outwardly. Now, here's, the, here's just what, this will set you free today. This will set you free. Because some of you are already hearing that and you're thinking, oh, great, just, I cannot do that. I've already heard this talk before. I've already been pressed down before. There's no way that I can live up to these standards. And you just think I'm going to give you more to do in order to please God or the church or me in some way. But here's what I want to say. Goodness is being good inward something that God does in you, and goodness is being good outward, something that God does through you. So you hear the difference between you thinking you have to do it all and that God was going to do it in you and then through you? So here's what we have to understand if we're going to understand the fruit of the Spirit. is If goodness is a gift of the Spirit, then the only way, this is, this is where we just are going to take a 180-degree turn from culture, The only way that we can know what is good is from God. The only way we can know what is good is from God, through him. Apart from God, we cannot know what the Bible is talking about when it refers to goodness. So most people, when they think of goodness, they think of the pursuit of pleasure, or they think of it as the absence of pain. But biblical goodness, the fruit of the Spirit, is really the ability to discern right from wrong and then to choose the right way to live. That's biblical goodness. Now, there's two concepts that we have to really understand if we're going to get this today. Uh, The first one is is that we have to understand that God is good. Then we're talking about good here. There's two ways that we can talk about God is good. I'm talking about this way, that God is primarily, his character is good. He's holy, he's righteous, he's set apart. He is good. And therefore, he always acts out of that goodness. But we're talking right now about the character part of God, that he is good, and he sets the standards for what is good. He's our source for truth, and therefore, what is good as we look to him. He's the foundation of what is good. Contrary to popular thinking, goodness 
cannot be known or exist apart from God. In order to know God's goodness, we need to understand that he's good in every way, and he cannot do anything except good. And by good, I'm not talking about the actions where he's kind and gentle and merciful and caring, all the ways that we would want to you know, snuggle up to God in that way, but we're talking about the idea that everything that God is is good in character and nature. He's good. That means that everything he says is right. Everything he says is right. He's morally excellent. He's extraordinarily beautiful. He's deeply joyful, and he's extravagantly benevolent. He's holy. He's fully set apart. He's our standard for excellence. He's the definition of good. And that's why for several years now, there's been a whole cultural shift to discredit this book. Because if we can discredit this book, then we discredit the God who wrote this book. And if we can discredit the God who wrote this book, then that's just left up to me to determine what's right and wrong. And so we want to talk today about the fact that God is good. We first learned of God's goodness in creation. So we know that in Genesis 1 that God is making the world. He's creating it at the end of every day. He says that it's good. I put a verse here from Genesis 1.31 on your notes. And it's at the end of the sixth day, and it says this, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. It wasn't just good. He saw everything he made. He looked at the entire earth, the creation he had made, and he said it's very good. And it was good because he had created it perfectly, and it was functioning according to its intended function or its intended purpose. God's creation did what it was intended to do, It accomplished the purpose for which he made it. It met the expectations of the creator. And that's one of the main benefits of the fruit of goodness in our lives. Is that when we are living out the fruit of goodness, is that we will be living out our lives in a way that it's as God intended us to live. We're going to end with this today. As he intended us to live, we become what he intended us to be. So goodness is used to describe things that fulfill their intended purposes. They do what they were designed to do. We also know, so we know from creation and what God says about himself, but we also know that God is good from the words and the testimony of Jesus Christ, his son. Now, there was a man, and it's recorded in Mark chapter 10, uh, who came to Jesus, and he was wanting to test Jesus, and he asked Jesus, how do we get to heaven? And uh, when he asked him that, he says, you know, you good teacher, tell me how to get to heaven. And instead of Jesus telling him how to get to heaven, he stopped to respond to the, the uh, term good and how this person had referred to Jesus as a good teacher. And this is what he says in Mark 10, 18. He says this, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Okay. I want you to settle that. Just let that sit in your heart for a minute. What did he say? He said, no one. No one is good except God alone. Apart from God, no one is good because only God is good. So he makes it really clear. We need to understand that God is the only one who is good, and therefore God is the standard for goodness. Now, I'm thinking back to my Christmas list. Ron Thompson, little boy, six. 
God. You know, I'm thinking about the distance between the two. But that is the standard of goodness. And we need to, we need to listen to this. We need to listen to the fact that God is the one who sets the standard for right and wrong. The Bible also says that God's goodness is permanent. That when God gave his word and it's been passed to us through the ages, that what God said was right when he gave his word is still right today. When God gave his word, what he said was wrong is still wrong today. God's word is permanent. It doesn't change. Now, those of you who may have grown up in church, you would know this phrase that goes like this. God is good. All the time. So some of you went to church, okay? You at least have your, at least had your caffeine and you can remember uh, what happened. But all the time. Now look at what it says in Psalm 100 about it, this God. It says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast... We sang this just a while ago at the start of our service. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So what he's saying is God is good in his character. God is good in his being. And therefore, out of that character or goodness that he has... He can only express himself in good acts. He must be consistent with who he is. So with that as the standard for what is good, God is a standard for good. We need to know the second truth, okay? We're going to look at some verses here, but the second truth is this, and Jesus said it, no one is good. No one is good. Look at what it says in Romans 3. It says, all have turned aside... Together, they have become worthless. So you might just circle the word all and just remember that that is everybody. All have turned aside and together, we we work together, collaborate to become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we're we're not good alone, but when we get together, we're even worse is what he's saying there. (laughs) God is good and no one else is good. Now, I know some of you are really struggling with this in a culture of self-esteem and how we build everybody up. I have to tell them they're good. Everything to do is good. Everything to do is wonderful. And we just keep thinking if we tell them enough that they're good, they're good, they're good, they're going to grow up believing they're good. But you know what? Studies are showing today that that does not work. It does not work. Because inside, everyone knows the truth. And the truth is, no one is good. And we all know that. We all realize that on the inside. But most of us, we tend to think that we're good people Because we compare ourselves to others. And so I just want to say, other people are not the standard. For goodness, other people are not the standard. God is the standard. And when anything is held up to him, everything falls short. Everything falls short. No one is good. So here's the really good news. And this is why we're celebrating communion today with this talk. The really good news is that God made it possible for those of us who were not good to be made good by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live and die on a cross for us. That's what God did. Look at these verses, 323, Romans 3. For everyone has sinned, once again, includes us all. We all, everybody, fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace freely makes us right in his sight, makes us good in his sight. He did this through Christ, Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. So the penalty for being in sin or being wrong. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Now notice here, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So we are made right with God when we come to that place And so this is what we're going to celebrate when we get to communion today. God takes those who are not good, that would be every one of us, 
every single one of us in here, every single one, person not in here today, takes those who are not good because of their character, because of their actions, because of God's definition of what is right and wrong, and he makes them good when they surrender themselves to believe that his son died for them on the cross, and we're all made good in that way. He makes them good because of his character and then his action of giving Jesus to make us good. Now, so on the backside of your notes, Ephesians. Basically, now that God has made you good in his sight and planted his spirit in you, this is what he calls you to. This is where we're going to talk about growing in goodness ourselves. Now you, those of you who have received Christ, those of you who have been made good, those of you who had the Holy Spirit planted inside of you, now you walk as children of light for the fruit of light. The fruit of the Spirit is found in all that is good and right and true. So the Bible makes it really clear that once we all walked in darkness, once we all made up truth that was convenient, convenient for us and our desires, convenient for us for our lifestyle, it says, okay, now, though, now that you've said yes to Jesus, you are now children of light, and now God is your source of truth, and everything has changed. So now, walk as children of light and do what is good, true, and right. And it's going to come from inside as he works it out of you. And when you do this, folks, this is where we get to the key. When you do this, you are going to stand out. Stand out in a culture of relativism. Where truth is defined by what I feel, the latest opinion poll, or what a group of people gets together to determine is truth. But when we come together, we say that this is truth, and we're going to follow him and live by him. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about how to grow in goodness. Kind of, does that make sense? Does that make, I just hope that makes sense. I know some of it was really basic. Some of you are you know, yawning right now, but for me, it was really good to kind of walk us through this today. Okay, so here we go. So I'm going to walk through a verse that many of you will know that's going to be familiar to you. And as for Micah 6, 8, I'm going to quickly breeze through this so that we can experience our communion moment together. But here's what it says. He has told you, O man, talking about God, told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Circle the word good and require. Good and require. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So there's three things that God requires of a good person. God requires of a good person. And the first is this. Growing in goodness requires a right attitude toward truth. Right attitude toward truth. Now, I really struggled with this. Because this verse is so powerful in helping people to help the oppressed, the you know, disenfranchised, the under-resourced, the helpless, that we would do justice. But in order for me to have a sense of needing to do justice, there, I have to have a sense of truth and what is right and wrong, how people are treated. See, the word for justice is used over 200 times in the Old Testament, and it means this. It means to treat people rightly, to treat people equitably. And if I'm going to treat people rightly, then I need to know what? I need to know truth. I need to know what is right treatment and what is wrong treatment as I treat people, as I relate to them. And so this verse is describing a person who knows God's truth and lives by it consistently. Having a standard and living by that standard, even when it's not convenient, profitable, acceptable, 
or comfortable. In order to treat people equity, I have to base my decisions on some criteria. And God's calling us to base it on his criteria, on his truth. And this is where the Bible makes a clear claim. Justice is treating people according to the truth and standards of the Bible, according to God's truth. So folks, there is a right and there is a wrong, and that has been given to us, and it does not change with the times. And that's why it's important as followers of Jesus that we base our lives on the truth of this book, and then we treat people according to what it says is right and wrong as we treat people, and we don't base it the way we treat people on the opinion of changing values. So when I do justice, I'm letting God's word guide me as I approach my relationships, as I approach my business practices, as I approach my views on marriage, as I approach my views on euthanasia, as I approach my views on the climate, as I approach my views on war, on poverty, on the homelessness problem, on those who are oppressed, even my voting duties, that I base my voting duties on the truth of God's word and what is right and wrong. See, if I let culture define my positions, my positions are always going to be changing all the time because the whims of culture continue to change. And contrary to popular opinion, changing my views with the times is not the best way to live. This is not the best way to live. No, basing my life on the unchanging values of God's word, that is the best way to live. So goodness is doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. That's goodness. That's what he's talking about there. Okay, second is this. Growing in goodness requires a right attitude toward everyone. Toward everyone. Whether they think like me or not. He says, love kindness. And, you know, I... Last week, we talked about this book, Love, Kindness, and that's where he got the title from, was this phrase here, uh, Love, Kindness. And our entire message last week focused on this idea of loving people enough that we would show them kindness, kindness, even those that I had prejudged in some way that I had determined uh, were not worthy of my kindness in some way. And what he's saying here is that we're called to love by being kind to everyone even those who have hurt us, even those that we disagree with in some way, uh, even those that we've judged as not deserving our kindness. Now, I didn't put these verses on your notes, but they'll be on the screens. Uh, you might write this reference down, Luke 6, 27 through 31. Luke 6, 27 through 31. Jesus is teaching here, and he says this, talking about loving kindly. He says, but to you who are willing to listen. So, hey, there we go. Are you listening? You are willing to listen. I say, oh, love your enemies. You know, he talks the hardest thing here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. So the principle here is that we would react in the moments when we've been hurt or pinched or judged uh, or in some way taken from, and that we will respond with love. Now, uh, I, I know that um, 
Christina, you went to YWAM, so you know all about Youth with a Mission. Well, the founder of Youth, of a Mission is, Youth with a Mission is Lauren Cunningham, and this is what he says about these verses. He says this, it's ministering in the opposite spirit, okay? So as the spirit was given to you in hate or judgment or hurt, that you give back in the opposite spirit, and that's what goodness does. Goodness gives back in a different way than I was given to. So if someone speaks badly about you, say a word of praise about them. If someone wants to curse you, find a way to bless them. If someone intends to hurt you, find a way to you know, help them in some way. And there's just something so liberating about this kind of loving kindness and expressing it to others, especially those who have previously not shown kindness to you. Okay, and the last idea is this. Growing in goodness requires a right attitude toward God. A right attitude toward God. And he says it this way. He says, walk humbly, but he says, walk humbly with your God. So instead of taking pride in what we bring to God, you know, okay, God, I'm good enough. You know, look at what I've done. Look at all the good things I've done for you, and you should love me and accept me. Instead of taking pride in what we've done, what we do is we come to God and we say, God, here's who I am. You be honest. It's called confession. Say, God, here's who I am. I know your standard. It's hard, God, because all my life I've lived by approval or I've really struggled with this concept that people are bad, God. And, but right now I'm coming to you because I'm going to come in humility and I'm going to tell you that this is what I've done. And this is how I'm out of alignment with your word and out of alignment with truth. And so that's what he's calling us to do. So it's truth. How do I treat others that comes out of my, accept, my ability to be accepted by him? And then lastly, I'm going to walk humbly. And when I walk humbly, that means I'm going to know that I didn't get where I am because of my goodness. I got where I am because of God's goodness. I am a child of God. So we just sang about a while ago. I am a child of God. Jesus, by his love on the cross, died for me, and he made me a child of God. And therefore, I'm going to walk humbly with my God because he did for me what I couldn't do on my own. And then I'm going to live it out. So he changes me on the inside, and then he works it out through the outside. And that's what Ephesians 2.10 talks about. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, underline this, good works. So he gives us his goodness through the Spirit, and he gives us that so that we will act out in goodness. You guys have kids that act out, right? And you know that term, and it's not usually a pleasant thing. But he's saying, we will act out in goodness that we should walk in them. And here's what he's saying. Remember we talked about creation? Creation, he made it perfectly, and it functioned perfectly as it was intended. So what God is saying is, I put myself in you. I put my perfection in you. And now you are going to live your life as I intended. You're going to live for my purposes. And as you live for my purposes, other people will see Jesus in you. They will get to know me. They will be confronted by rightness or wrongness. They will be confronted by what is true or what is false. Simply by the way that you live. So stand out. So stand out.
Look at these verses from Second uh, Thessalonians, and then we'll lead us into a time of communion. So Paul is praying, and this is a prayer that we might wrap up with. So as I'm reading this, I'm just asking our ushers to go ahead and to move into place. Those will be serving our communion time. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to pray. They're just going to stand and wait until after that. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, I pray now that as we come before you that there's some in the room that I would believe that are at the point right now of just realizing that oh, I've just been measuring myself. You know, I've been hoping that I'm good enough, and I've been hoping that someday that if there's ever a judgment, that I'll be able to point to you with all the good things I did, and I'm going to hope that you overlook or erase all the bad things simply because of who you are. But God, I realize now that uh, it's through Jesus that those are taken away. And so if you wanted to, and you've never said yes to Jesus and asked for that, told him you believe in him, just do it right now with me. Say, Jesus, as much as I understand this right now, I turn my heart to you. I'll just tell you that I am not good. I'll tell you that as I look at my life, that the result in my life of my not goodness are devastating. They're hurtful. They've hurt me and they've hurt others. So Jesus, I ask right now that you would cleanse me. I ask for your forgiveness by what you did on the cross. I ask you to make me whole, heal me, to restore me, to renew me, to regenerate me. And now, as your spirit of goodness is planted inside of me, this would be all of our prayer. As your spirit of goodness is planted inside of me, Help me to act out in the way that I was intended to act. Give me your strength and give me your spirit. So I'd just like you to stay in a posture of prayer. Our ushers are going to serve us, our communion elements. And so just ask that as you're served that you not talk to the people around you. There's going to be a Bible verse on the screens that will help us out. Uh, as we have this time of serving, just so you can have your own space. And as they serve, when we're all served at the end of that, we're all just going to have a song in this process. Uh, lead us all as we take our communion elements together.
about Jesus and what he did for us, that he sacrificed his body and his blood, that he could make us good. It's just overwhelming when you think about it sometimes. That's why communion is so important for us, that we brought back to that place, a reminder, a reminder as how much we need him but also a reminder of how much he loves us and what he has in store for us, what he wants for us as we walk with him, the goodness that he wants to bring out, the way he loves us that way. So as we remember that right now, we're going to eat the bread. And the bread was said, when Jesus was going to be crucified, he broke bread and he said that this represents my body, which is broken for you. And I'm taking your punishment on the cross. the punishment you deserve because you were not good. I love you, he said. Eat this and remember me. And then he poured the juice and he said that it represents his blood, which would be shed as a sacrifice that would change the arrangement that we had with God. And the arrangement now would be about grace. It would be about him coming to us who were not good and saying, I made it possible to make you good. You can quit trying. You can quit striving. You can let me, let me be your savior. And Jesus said, my blood will make that possible. Drink this. Thank Jesus for his blood. God, thank you for this moment and your people. May they know your love. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we rely on you. Work God's goodness out from us. Amen.